Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi and welcome along to the Left on Red podcast. It's been a few weeks due to late match lack of fitness, but we're happy to be back and I've got a special guest this week. Hi, um, it's Raf. I'm back. I'm back for another video. Lowe is out of action with COVID and so I've been drawn in, got the call up and I'm very excited. So our match day experience of Southampton, nothing too exciting really if I'm honest with you. I was, I was bedridden with tonsillitis which I'm on the recovery from, hence why there wasn't any Manchester United or Everton podcast which we're really sorry about. We desperately tried to make it happen but then Lowe got COVID which made it entirely impossible for either of us to come out and do what I'm doing now with Raf. Um, so you really need one of the team fit and ready to go. But that's the case, so let's dive into it. I was sort of desperately flicking between streams, which mm. Lowell was actually helping me out with. He seems to know the, the next one all the time. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me much. Um, yeah, I didn't have an excellent match day experience either. I was working at Delhi making sandwiches, cutting Manchego. Uh, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, and just trying to stop... Uh, trying to stop my manager seeing that I was trying to watch the game as customers were coming in. Oh, I do that all the time at work. I've, I'm excited tomorrow because I've been given a shift behind the bar, which is irregular for me. And me and my guy Victor, we just put up BT Sport behind what, the bar, what are we make like? a few drinks, you know. So you can hope for. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I did the best I could and it wasn't much because I got about seven minutes in overall. Uh, stream kept them bugging, as you can imagine, in a pretty uh, shitty Delhi the Wi-Fi connection is not fantastic so it's a bit of a nightmare but watch the extended highlights on Southampton YouTube which uh, should give me a good that picture. gives you all the insight you need to know it's all you really need I think I might just do that for the rest of the season actually. yeah yeah there's not much really going on for Arsenal really. I'm joking there's a lot going on we're going to get into it and I mean yeah we I, I watched probably at least a half throughout the whole match worth of the match flicking between streams it probably crashed every 10-12 minutes, something like that. So I've got enough to sort of comment on the match. But I reckon in this podcast we're going to delve into a few match days, sort of where we are at this point of the season, and make it sort of a general reintegrating back into Left on Red mm. podcast. It's been a couple of weeks and we want to catch up. Okay, so a 3-0 win. What looks convincing on paper, was it convincing in reality? Well, I, th- I mean, I think you can look at it in two different ways because on the one hand, for the first 15 minutes... Uh, they were dominating, we looked kind of on the ropes. We weren't playing as well, which is a bit of a kind of juxtaposes our normal proceedings to the game in which we normally really start st- strongly and, and start to tail off. Um, Go 1-0 up and then sit back and be frightened. Exactly, but in, in this game, in the first 15 minutes, we were, we were as I said, on the ropes, uh, back to the wall. But, um, but we got back into it with a goal and after that, I think we played some of the best football we played. Um, really yeah, no, it really frustrated me because I... The, the clearest part of the match I watched was the first 20-25 minutes and I thought Southampton started really brightly. They looked like they looked to fret with the amount of attacking players they played with. I know they play 4-4-2 but they play, basically play with four strikers mm. and then they got really attacking fullbacks. So they were bombing on and creating overloads and it was it was it looked bad. We couldn't really get out. We looked scared to take the ball down yeah. and just start passing it. I mean Ralph, Ralph Hassenhut was a really in my opinion I know he struggled and he's been a end of a few batterings a couple nine nils which doesn't look good I do think he's a good manager I think he 
he makes them play good football. They're all vulnerable at the back, as we saw on the weekend. But going forward, they showed kind of the way he wants to play. And I think we really struggled. Yeah, we did struggle. And we I think we, we struggled to play out, which was ultimately not an issue because we scored a beautiful classic Arsenal mm. goal playing out from the back. I think from that moment, that was a catalyst for confidence in the game. And actually, after going one and up, we started getting the ball down, playing with the patterns of play that Mikel likes us to play with, creating chance, chances. And you said to me, actually, uh, you texted me and you said that this was one of the first times you saw an Arsenal team actually sustain attacks, which has been so rare. Yeah, and it's what we used to see under Wenger. And sometimes we weren't very prolific over it with Olivier Giroud up top with a lamppost. But um, it was just relentless pressure with the likes of Riziki, kind of Kozola, and just, just always going forward, always on the attack. And just it wasn't just one, two attacks and a goal, and then you'd kind of sit back, which is kind of what we've seen all season. But it was kind of ruthless. We were as Liverpool play when they go two, three up. We've seen it against us how many times, and they just want more. They're hungry for another goal. They want to please the crowd. Well, the mentality is attack. We're tired. No, go again. Attack, mm. attack, yeah. attack. And it looked like everyone wanted a goal. Like Saka was just Saka was shooting. He had a, re- a couple of really good chances. Oh, that one where he sort of waited for the ball and shimmy. That was and unreal. Then hit I, the couldn't post. Be- yeah, I couldn't oh. believe he got that off. Um, it just it looked like we were we were relentless. We were uh, almost reckless with it, and I, I really enjoyed that. Speak to me about the reintroduction, the imminent reintroduction of Granite Xhaka into midfield. Thoughts. I, I think I've always rated Granite Xhaka. I don't think he's a top, top, top player. Uh, I think he's let back by his one-footedness uh, at times. And his inability to receive the ball in the half-term. Yeah. It will forever frustrate me. But I, I think I still think he's a fair few levels above Lukonga and Maitland-Niles at the moment. And I think they're both really promising players. But I think with Xhaka, especially with Partey being as inconsistent as he is, he's he can be. And it's no one really says that Granite Xhaka is a reassuring presence, but... He is somewhat that. In, uh, he is in this time. team, which is just ridiculous because when he plays, he becomes such a crucial cog mm. into the, the tactical setup and how he allows which players to go where. And it's not that other players don't do it and we don't set up with the same blueprint. It's just that it works most. It's as if it's his prime system and it's as if it's Tierney's prime system to have Xhaka there exactly, for him yeah. so that he can go wide. And then it's as if that works yeah. beautifully with, with well, Actually, I want to talk about Marcelli in a minute. Usually, mm. it's more of a creative player on the left that plays in the left half space, yeah. cutting in. But when Arteta first came, it was Aubameyang doing that, but running in beyond Lacazette yeah. into the left half space, but into the box rather than yeah. into midfield. And Martinelli sort of fits the Aubameyang mould more. And I've been impressed with Martinelli the most in his Arsenal career in the last few so weeks. Or at least since the beginning when he was getting goals after goals. He was a bit on a I'm bit more of a impressed now because I think really? his, his footballing performance is a bit It has done, it has better. done because normally he's inconsistent on the ball. He lacks kind of technical nous really. Um, it's, it's a weird one that I think it confuses a lot of people because he, he, he's not got technical security on mm. the ball in tight areas or in structured play. But when it, become, when it comes down to being spontaneous or mm. coming up with a moment of magic in the... Um, in the middle of nowhere and everyone thinks oh my god how's he done that he's brilliant because he's a street footballer yeah. so it's what he's used to and we saw that with his goal against uh, Newcastle where one touch chip over the keeper yeah. in beyond which was beautiful not many other players could have done that yeah I mean what you hope from Martinelli is that this because he, he had a, a long period of time and thanks to his long term injury which obviously isn't going to help with a, what was he 17 at the time you're always going to come back and not be on top of your game but if he can keep this consistency in his technicality 
uh, try and be more secure on the ball then he's a real asset because we need players like that we've got really good technical players in um, Odegaard uh, Smithrow um, but sometimes we lack some explosivity and some uh, just Directness. getting a goal out of nowhere it's, a little, it's something about I don't know what it is about South American wingers or strikers and they have a little bounce in their play yeah. and it's almost like there's unpredictability in their movement let alone what they're going to do with the ball at their feet and then they start whipping out little step overs and Cruyff turns yeah. and elasticos and stuff like that and Sanchez had it a little bit mm. where he was so springy he must have done so many plyometrics behind the scenes <laughs> um, <laughs> more than you believe um, <laughs> but you, you just don't know if they're going left or right and if they go left or right it's not in a straight line they sort of weave mm. and Martinelli's got that little bit of um, unpredictability about him which I quite like yeah it's so good to watch and it just brings excitement to the I think we're going to move this this conversation we're going we're gonna to keep on linking it back to the Southampton game but I think we're doing a bit of a review here on players and the squad's overhaul so for me in my mind I'd love Martinelli to become a centre forward mm-hmm. I'm not sure I mean he's maybe he's developing it now I'm not sure whether he's got the technical security to be a number nine with the whole mm. package where he can come in link up play yeah. create chances he also, I, think, I also think he lacks the presence as a striker at the moment yeah, yeah. That, I that mean that, that should come hopefully but he can definitely do what Aubameyang does where he goes in beyond and makes excellent runs yeah. and can, can, can finish leading into the number nine talk let's talk about Lacazette's performance and then lead that into what your opinions are on what we should do with the striker yeah I mean me and Costa love Lacazette. He's, he's criminally underrated. I'd be my favourite player at Arsenal. He's always a presence. He's always fighting for the ball. He always puts his body in line uh, for a tackle. He wins us lots of free kicks when he goes down fairly easily. Uh, but he brings to the table what Aubameyang doesn't. And that's just just having someone up there, giving a centre-back something to think about. But that's combined with unreal technical ability. The touch, just a little touches is so good to watch. And I'm always begging for him to get a goal because... I know that a lot of fans just don't recognise his ability when he's not getting goals because they see it. There was Yang. one moment in, in the match where Lacazette flicks the ball round the corner with the in, with his instep, but like going backwards into mm. Odegaard, just round the Southampton player. And Odegaard just caresses the ball back to him with another yeah. deft touch. And then Lacazette just runs like 30 metres through South, three Southampton players. Mm eventually takes one extra touch too many before trying to get a shot off and the ball gets nicked off him. Yeah. But it would have been goal of the season. Mm. It was um, it was so lovely to watch the interplay between those two yeah. players in that match. And I think he makes other players play better around him. I think Odegaard performs best when he's got Lacazette because he's got something to hit. He's got something he can bounce off. So um, does Smith-Rowe and Smith-Rowe so said it. Yeah. Um, well, was a game when Smith-Rowe and actually our team changed. Um, Chelsea. Chelsea 3-1. Three, three uh, that was uh, Lacazette, Martinelli, Smith-Rowe and Saka. Or I think he was playing left back potentially, but um, it was just that that start of a really good partnership. And I think it's just when you have players that just can move around, and you haven't got just a you're basically playing with ten men with a bad. He's, he's a he's a. It's really strange because he's a he's a pivot in the team, and he plays number nine, mm. and your number six should be your pivot. And and Partey is kind of our pivot, even though we play as a, with a double pivot. We'll get onto the tactic stuff in a second, but. You can still build with a single pivot when you, on paper, start with a double pivot. It's mm. just an adjustment of yeah. of the midfield. Um, but Lacazette gives us a central penetration and pivot in the attacking phase, which we lack when we play with Aubameyang. And I don't want people to think that it's something against having players with Aubameyang's ilk. So I don't mind having a striker who's outstanding, that plays on the shoulder, that's got pace, that finishes. Mm. 
for being honest, our best ever player in history was one of those players. And he could do a hell of a lot more because he was technical. He could come mm. deep, he could go left, he could go right. Yeah. Could have played probably number 10 if he wanted to. This is Thierry, but by the way. This I is Thierry. And he, his, 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 his primary mould was similar to a It was on the shoulder, in beyond. Yeah. And then when he has the ball, use your magic. But yeah. it's fine because he had the magic, he had the security, he had the link-up play, mm. he had the innovative... Um, creativity to create things he was a beautiful footballer it's just that his primary role was to do that isn't it that, that's not the issue it's just the fact that Aubameyang can't control a football yeah, or pass a and football and it's so frustrating and it's just frustrating it's... I don't care what type of player you are mm. as long as you can do the basics right mm. and he can't which is why it's annoying yeah and I don't want to say I told you so but I've been we saying it for so. years we've been saying it, we've been saying it for years which uh, is why people that listen I hope you don't get bored of me slating him weekly because it's just for me it's not good enough for my football and, it, and it's not it's not like he's it's because he tailed off scoring like he, I, we were saying this when he was getting 20 goals a season and it just we didn't think he was bringing enough to the table talk about our current captain club captain mm. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and the situation of the second breach Second breach. I mean, the f- first one was against Tottenham when he didn't play. I think it was just late for training. He got that caught be... up in um, Highgate Hill on in his in his um, Ferrari or whatever it was. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm, I've heard that the traffic was bad, so we can maybe give him we, just we a slap on the for that. Out. To be fair, it does get quite crowded out there. Yeah, I mean, you can't blame it. Um, <laughs> but for this one, I think it when it's come off not not doing well for a couple of games, missing an abundance of sitters, and when the majority of the fan base is kind of realizing that he's doesn't really cut the mustard and then something like when I mean Lacazette doesn't play for for weeks on end and as, when he comes on he's he's fighting for the team he wants that place back he do, he does everything right Lacazette yeah. even when he's not in the team and it seems like when a, when things don't go to start to go wrong for Bamiang he kind of just puts himself in front of the team almost I I, I agree there's this sort of the reality where he's a good leader in one sense where he connects everybody together in the changing room and he, he, he smiles and he laughs and he gets on with everyone. Mm-hmm. But then I don't think he's a leader in the sense that he motivates people. And the issue we have is our, our leader was very clearly David Luiz last year and we got rid of him. Yeah. And our other leader was very clearly Granit Xhaka who yeah. can't be the, the captain again. Unfairly so then do we give it to Kieran Tierney? Well, then do we give it to Lacazette who's, in my opinion, is the next choice. But is it's possibly con- leaving. Very probably can Because the club aren't going to renew his contract. Th- then, do we give it to Kieran Tierney, who, who do, does he even start? Well, I mean, in my opinion, he should, but... I think he is better than Nuno Tavares. Um, Outstanding I pronunciation. Would, very much. You know, when me and Rafa on this, we pronounce things correctly. It's I'm all like, about Lowell, culture. who can't uh, uh, pronounce... No, no, Tavares. Yeah, yeah Nuno um, Tavares. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, Gabriel's an option as well. Uh, he seems to... Uh, be a really big yeah. I mean, Aaron Ramsdale's an option for me. Aaron I mean, Ramsdale's love this an option. Bloke. Is it too early doors? Not for me. What thoughts on mm. Aaron Ramsdale running to the corner flag and knee sliding? Yeah, off. a little That's bit much from that. Aaron, but we don't mind it. Um, yeah, it would have been yeah. unreal at the Emirates at Delhi. It was a bit disconcerting. Um, but it was. I mean, he's always got that passion. Uh, he's always celebrating with the fans, and it's something you love to see. I don't know. I mean, I think I think he must have a voice in the dressing room because Mikel's talked about it. He said, uh, I knew that uh, Aaron was going to be this character when the first time I talked to him uh, on the phone, I knew that he was going to be pivotal to the team and what we wanted the team to be. I just want to give props to Mikel and the scout department for figuring out this guy could play out from the back so outstandingly whilst not having much evidence to go off. I mean, he would have been in two relegated teams and yeah. didn't play out from the back that successfully. And how have you spotted this guy in in the, in those two teams? Yeah, I mean, had the ability to do that. 
on that hand, yeah, it's really good. But on the other hand, that scouting department did um, bring in Alex Runa-Runason. <laughs> that, that is true. <laughs> but, I, I mean, supposedly that was our goalkeeping coach, actually. Yeah. Which is like his better so, episode so hit going and miss. On. Yeah. To be, to, to be honest, we're going to have to bring in another keeper in January because Leno will be gone. Do you reckon he'll go in January? I think so. I think he might go on a free at the end of the season. Yeah, true. true. He sure. might play some FA Cup games and yeah. stay to win the League Cup, I hopefully. mean, more domestic cups are coming on. He will have more minutes. He will... Uh, I imagine want to want to prove himself and get that number one spot back, um, but we'll see. So just before we move on to the tactics section for this podcast, I just want to get your overall opinion on how the season's going so far. Top six is that success or is top four success? I mean, if you if you ask the majority of the Arsenal fans at the beginning of the season, it would be top six. But I think you've seen teams like Leicester tail off. Man United have, haven't been convincing. Tottenham haven't been convincing although they will be ahead of us because they've got two games in hand. And I think now we really want to get that top four spot. It's there for the taking. It's the hope that kills you. It is the hope that kills I just it. think that if we got top six, that would still be progress. Yeah, well, of course it is. We have to try and stay calm as an Arsenal fan base and accept the process and the project that we're going through, whether you like Arteta or not. If we get top six, that is a positive. Especially and Arteta's the, done his job. And then next with, season we go for top four. With the youngest team in the league as well, with... Six signings, all playing a big part this season, integrating them all. I mean, with with hindsight, uh, top six probably would be... A, a it's depressing to say, but top six and, and a cup run, which we're enduring already in mm. the League Cup, is progress this season. So, in this week's tactics section, we are going to be looking at Arsenal and Southampton, of course. What did we do differently? What did they do? Was it exciting? Not particularly Let's dive into it. Okay, so we played in our 4-2-3-1, fairly classic. Um, press in a 4-4-2, as we always do, the 10 as Odegaard, pressing with the number 9, and then you have two strikers, and the wingers drop into wide midfielders. And then we, we pressed with a 4-4-2, and we sat back in a 4-4-2 pretty much. I mean, sometimes Odegaard would come a bit deeper. That's what we usually do. We played out... For the majority of the match in a 2-3-5, which is what we usually do with the two centre-backs and then Partey in the middle and then Tomiyasu a bit wide to the right and then Xhaka a bit wide to the left, not quite as wide, a bit closer to Partey. And then you've got Tierney, Martinelli, Lacazette, Odegaard, Saka. So Tierney and Saka holding the width. Mm-hmm. Martinelli and Odegaard in the half spaces and Lacazette dropping in. There was some... Alternatives, though, we didn't always build out in that system. We also built out at times in uh, 244, which I saw going around quite a lot on Twitter, because you could see it in the Lacazette goal. No, but a lot of the match was different and it wasn't our usual build-out. I'd say maybe 40% of the match we built up usually, with Tierney bombing on like that and Saka holding the width. And um, Actually, I want to get into this when we talk about the tactics for the Everton game, which we'll get into later, um, where at points Martinelli would run and become the nine and Lacazette would drop and play in the left mm. half space. That was our 2-3-5 build-up. We also built up in a 2-4-4. When Martinelli didn't go to become the number nine and Lacazette stayed up top, Lacazette would still drop into that half space, but Martinelli would hold the left width, mm-hmm. Sack would hold the, the right width, and it'd be a front four of Martinelli, Lacazette, Odegaard. Yeah. So we almost didn't have a focal point or somebody running in beyond. Mm-hmm. And then Tierney would still be wide, but it would be a bank of Tierney, Xhaka, Partey, Tomiyasu, yeah. Um, and it was it was a slight difference. It didn't it didn't really make too much difference in the way that we built up. I think actually Xhaka was quite important in it because he sta- he he stayed a bit closer to Partey. And when we played with Lukonga or Maitland Niles 
or on any next aparte, mm. they've been a bit happier to cover the channels and go a little bit wider, allowing Tierney to bomb on. Yeah. Hence the slight difference in our build-out formation. Yeah. But you want that tactical fluidity to make it more... Southampton don't know what we're going to do. Sometimes Mikel's been accused of kind of sticking with planning no matter what, uh, which is good when it's working. But, um, no, but it, just it is have, good. Just have that just unpredictability uh, on how it uh, how we're going forward. And it obviously makes makes more chances. I think we made 16 chances against Southampton. Uh, but it's also, it's also an indicator that, as we already know, we've talked about this a million times, Mikel's an excellent coach tactically. And he knew that today was the right day to maybe implement more of a 2-4-4 when we build out rather than a 2-3-5, mm. which is what we usually do. Because if you look at Southampton, they, okay, they played a 4-4-2, but they built out on a 2-4-4, which meant that he was basically going man for man. And he knows that man for man, that we can beat their press and play out more easily. Yeah. And we did see it when with the goal that you had the goalkeeper and the two centre-backs. And then Xhaka was basically in, invisible in there, but he was next to Partey, who mm. was used as the glue. And then you had your two fullbacks wide. And then you had basically four across the front. Odegaard drops in just to connect it, play it into Tomiyasu, who plays it up the line into Saka. Yeah. And then the second striker in the in the 2 4 4, because Odegaard's dropped in, Lacazette, he's on that left side of the pitch and he's just measuring his run. Mm. Makes the box late and it's a wonderful finish into the what, top corner. What a little finish. What a little finish. Um, so, yeah, n- then moving on to. What Southampton did. So it was a four four two. They built up in a two four four. They did it slightly differently, where their their wide midfield is tucked in narrow, and they joined the two strikers in the box to overload the box, and then they got their fullbacks really high and wide. And Livermento is a fantastic player. I remember. I think I might have played against him. I can't remember. I definitely played his age group at Chelsea, who were the year above me, and I remember I was on the bench. It was my first year at West Ham, mm. and. They put me on at right back, and I got absolutely ripped yeah, to shreds. Not, not completely surprised there. <laughs> and then after five minutes, the coaches put. This is the same coach who said that I can have a career like Cannon Chambers. Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> I was fuming when he said that. Boy, he said, I know everyone <laughs> dreams when he said you've got all the qualities to play right back, centre back, and holding midfield. And I think my qualities suited more of a box to box midfielder. Yeah. But anyway, that that coach now. I think he's the manager at Woking FC in the fifth division. So well, that you know, just shows you. He just shows you the level, mate. You know, yeah. I'm here at left on red. So yeah, you exactly. Your life. Kind of um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Livermento, excellent player. Fullbacks bombing up, and they had Carl Walker Peters, ex Spurs player, um, side of the pitch. But he was explosive, cutting in. They were causing us problems, especially in the first twenty minutes. So they would come in whipping crosses, and then they'd have the four, the two strikers and two wide midfielders. Um, joining them in the box. Often one wide midfielder would leave, so there'd be three strikers in the box and he'd help create a 2v1 overload or a 3v2 overload if if the one of the double pivots on that side of the pitch joined the fullback and the winger um, to create issues. So it was basically get the ball in the box, create little overloads down the side and create cutbacks. It was fairly classic mould school 4-4-2 football. Mm. Um, with a high press, they also played with a high yeah. press. They always play with a high press. Yeah. Um, and also that left with the two wingers bombing on a very traditional old school box four, which is basically two centimetres, two, two centre halves, creating um, as you as you hear it a, a box four, so yeah. two and two um, to, to to help with the defensive transition. So if anybody go, if anything goes the other way, you've got four players, which is actually less than most current teams have um, a pentagon now. So mm. it'd be three and two or two and three. Yeah. 
um, to block transitions. So I quite enjoyed watching that because at West Ham, it's what they talk. I was going to ask you, veering off the tactical uh, analysis, what's what what would you do for the next end of Smith Come in? Do you drop Martinelli? Do you drop Lacazette? I, I think not. you keep it how it is, uh-huh. and then you can bring Smith Rowe on in the second half. I mean, West Ham play a very 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 strong defensive um, line between their back four and their and their pivot in mm. Suchek and Rice. And they defend deep with the wingers coming back. Yeah. So I think that confusion of Martinelli going and beyond Lacazette dropping in, sometimes Lacazette going and beyond Martinelli coming inside and Tierney overlapping. Yeah. I think that fluidity. Do you reckon Martinelli will get a much joy against Kufal? I mean, he's not an excellent right back, but he's fairly physical. He stays back. He's not going to give Martinelli much. Well, space Martinelli in will, will probably pin himself against Craig Dawson. Oh, yes. Which is <laughs> <laughs> a battle everyone wants oh, to watch. Oh, yeah. Been, yeah. <laughs> Um, it's been in running for decades. Yeah, it has. I think if Smith Rowe was to play, Smith Rowe would be coming inside and Soufal would be yeah. caught in two minds over to follow him and then, or follow Tierney in the overlap. Maybe Smith Rowe would be the better option. I think stick Martinelli because he's played well and see if you can. Now. And then bring Smith Rowe on with half an hour left. Yeah. Um, and then I don't know if I'd stick with Xhaka in that game because you've got a lot of twisty little attacking midfielders. They play with Lanzini for now. Ben Rama, any little like hiccups. body hiccup from from Jack is gonna yeah, get pounced be, on, be turning and they like counter that. really well West Ham. So yeah. I quite like to see Lukonga get a run out, but mm-hmm. apart from that, I wouldn't be changing the team too much. Yeah. So in this week's player ratings, I'll be asking Raf. I'm intrigued to see oh, yeah. what he says. So best three players from third to first for the Arsenal. Number three, I'm gonna go with Bukayo Saka. I thought he gave. I thought he gave their left back. Uh, a meal of problems all day all day long. Um, I like I like him getting pot shots off. I think sometimes he's he's got a bit of a reluctance to just shoot. But I thought, as we said before, that one where he fainted in the box and then just that hit it beautiful. really like yeah. hit it really straight actually at the post. Uh, I thought it was really good. I'd give him a an eight out of ten. Okay, I think eight is a bit of a stretch, Rooney. But okay, I no worries. A- <laughs> <laughs> what would you give him? Maybe a seven. No, I thought he played well. I just you know to get an eight. Actually, no. Seven and a half. We do point five. I was going to give it seven and a half, yeah, but, uh, I, but I was unsure and I didn't want to push my. Uh... No, seven and a half. We I'm do point right, five. No worries. Here. No worries. Yeah, who, who comes second list? Second would be, I mean, on a sofa score ratings app. Um... <laughs> sofa score is a wonderful app. If you ever want to sponsor us, I'd be over the moon. Also, if you go on the lineups, you can see average player positions, and I love it. Oh yeah, that's what it's all about. That really helps with the cost of the tactical analysis. Um, you know, if I'm ever just, feeling a little bit, un- it's key to un- the show. Uncertain. So it's not. Ways, I, I, so it all comes to my key. eyes, but I like to just you know reaffirm well, and think from the right thing. So the score, I guess. Yeah. Um, no, not here. No, of course not. Uh, I thought Martinelli had a really good game as well. He was explosive. Uh, talking about who's their right back again? Livermento. Livermento. Uh, as I was watching the Southampton highlights on Southampton YouTube channel, the commentators were actually really good commentators, actually. Um, gave a lot of kind of insight into the Southampton season and was saying that Livermento had basically had no trouble this season. He'd, he'd won most of his battles, but, but this was one of the first games that Martinelli, or that a player, had really given him a run for his money. Got past him lots of times, almost scored a goal off the post. And he, he brought that explosivity, which I really enjoyed. Excellent. And who, who's number one? 
I've given it to Ramsdale. I'm not quite sure why. Is, this, is it for the knee slide? It could be for the knee slide. <laughs> I'm partial to a knee slide here and there, especially when we're 1-0 up at home against Southampton. <laughs> I, did, I did enjoy the cupping of the ears yeah, as well. No one said anything about no, it. I know. It's I know. those players that it's get like... absolutely no stick and they're like, yeah, what are you saying? What are you saying, though? <laughs> <laughs> Relax, man. Um, it's like Maguire against yeah. San Marino. <laughs> he does get a little bit of stick, though. He's an absolute bust. But anyway, um, <laughs> did make, he make crucial saves, as he always does. Uh, potentially made them look harder than they were but and are we going to talk about that side volley oh, oh yes God. please oh my what gosh what a little player Ramsdale is uh, yeah he's just he's, he's done a bit of a Edison Morales there actually um, what well, the one against PSG for Zinchenko last season <laughs> that's the one <laughs> I think honestly we have got the right footed Edison Arsenal we he's do a joke. he is a Aaron Ramsdale is a joke but a lot better looking as well he's a Edison's joke and he's a top bloke yeah Edison's Edison not the best looking is, geezer like head tattoo as well. No, he's got a little like smiley face. Have you seen that Man City are releasing a, a, <laughs> an Edison documentary? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how many people will be I watching. I how we mentioned but... Edison, but give me our worst player. Our worst player. Um, oh, I mean, Pablo Ribe, my dad, went to the game actually. Um, and I thought claimed... you were going to say Pablo Maris, I didn't Pablo, play, Pablo <laughs> Maris, <laughs> he's off to He's off back to Flamengo. He's off back to Flamengo, yeah. Yeah. Maybe give it to Granite Xhaka. I thought he was, although I did, he's a cog. He's, he's a cog. He's cog. I don't think we had a terrible performance. Granite it's hard to pick one up. Zaka, that's what I call him. Yeah, clever. Um, All right, no negatives. We like I, that. Let's be positive. Yeah, I'm being positive. best player. Uh, Southampton's uh, best player would be, I'm not going to say Livermento because Martinelli had him on toast. Um, it's, it's hard to, Armstrong was good for the, kind of in that in that period where they dominated. He had a couple I of thought, good shots. I thought Carl Walker-Peters and, and Livermento were positive for the first 15 minutes, but then as mm. you said, Livermento, no. Then also Carl Walker-Peters, ex-Burst player, so then we can just cross Exactly, and he does leave a lot of space in behind. I mean, uh, for our first goal, he was in front. He was absolutely nowhere to be seen. Yeah, it was too easy for It's hard to pick out a player. I, um, yeah, OK, well, Southampton, you've got know. a bit to work on there. Yeah. OK, Mikel. Mikel, solid 8 out of 10 performance yeah, from Mikel. Yeah, I like that for So, what happened to what happened to the last few podcasts, guys? Let's get into it. So, the United one and the Everton one, neither were completed. So, we're going to do a little section on both of those games now. A little merge of uh, match day experience and tactical breakdown. We'll keep the tactical stuff. Well, there's, there's some 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 interesting stuff to talk about in relation to the United game. Less so with, with the Everton game. We'll try and keep that a bit shorter and expand more on the experience because I had three days in Manchester oh, yes. and it ruined me. Oh no. Yeah. So that wasn't good. I, I, I came away with tonsillitis from that one. Yeah. I thought it might be in coronavirus, but you know, tonsillitis is a good substitution for I mean that. I thought it could be even worse. Uh, I th- I think well it was it was worse than getting it and it being mild. Obviously I've had coronavirus and that was worse than tonsillitis. Right. Um, the first time round, mm. it was it was horrible. I mean, I couldn't speak for for, for a week. I had mm. to take. I actually on the Saturday I woke up and I got my train back and I went straight to work and did a, and catered a wedding, and then I had work on the Sunday as well, and then after that I was finished and I couldn't speak, and then I took a week off and I start work again tomorrow. Nightmare. So that's why the podcast has been running short. It is a, it is a valid excuse, and then obviously lol after. After the away game at Goodison, at Goodison Park, um, caught coronavirus somehow, so he's still isolating. So we couldn't get either to you, but let's let's get into the trip up. So me and Lowell met Lafey at Hitchin, as always. Um, 
Thursday, Thursday morning, Thursday lunchtime, and we we're in good spirits. Lowell had slipped a disc in his back, which was fairly classic of Lowell. Yeah. Um, and there's some unbelievably funny um, photography of us at Hitchin waiting for Lafey because I brought him this, this back support strap. Of course you have. <laughs> <laughs> it's called me up at, in the morning and I go, at 8.30 and I've told him not to call me and he mm. still called me. He's woken me up mm. and he's gone, all right, Costa, do you reckon you've got like any special chairs for the car? <laughs> and I've gone, he's just, I reckon that's the type of thing that you have in the Costa household. Mm. And he was right. He was right because, because yeah. I have this, 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 it basically straightens your spine. Mm. So I brought that for him while we're waiting. He's basically stripped naked oh. in the, in the, in the train station at Hitchin. We haven't realised that there's this, there's this like this Jeep behind us and there's this couple just watching him the whole time. Oh. <laughs> but he's got this strap. And he just looks magnificent at like eleven a.m. at Hitchin mm. with his back back brace and with his like little rolly thing, mm. cigarette thing in his ear, and his little gun tattoo, cannon tattoo. It's a beautiful sight. I mean, I've got it on camera. It was a wonderful mm. moment. I bet. And then I don't know why, but he's also um, wrapped me up nice and warm with his scarf on my head, and he created a cool hat. So we had a bit of fun in the morning. Oh, yeah. Um, just because Leif's always. And he always says to us, I live in I, li- I live in the past or something like that. He's basically, he's always late. So we had some time to kill waiting for I him. I live in the past. Yeah, or I live in the future. I don't know where <laughs> those ones. He gives it the big end, don't he? Right, so then he's driven us all the way to Manchester. You know, the car trip was all right. Um, and we got to Manchester maybe an hour before kickoff. And I've tried to meet my cousin Nick, Nick for a pint before the match. He's pissed. He's been in central Manchester all mm. day. It was impossible to meet him. Turns out that Actually, we were probably about five metres from each other in the um, inside the stadium where you drink the beers and sing oh, really? songs and stuff like that. And the outside of Old Trafford, I have to say, is industrial. The the area um, near Salford, where on Trafford, Old mm. Trafford and Salford, really old industrial ports and stuff like that. And the outside of the stadium kind of reflects that. It's quite ugly, but the inside is beautiful. It's lovely. <laughs> anyway, so then the lead up to the match, we're inside. The stadium having a few the, the pints old Trafford are three quid really unreal the dream. and then a, a glass of water is two pounds fifty so I bought what? myself a pint and load a glass of water at the same time which is ridiculous yeah so I was over the moon of that mm. um, and we we're getting involved with the songs and it was brilliant and the fans had created a new song for old Nenny which was oh. <laughs> which was actually why I was chuckling um, to myself a minute ago because I just could not wait to tell you guys about this wow. it's a theme tune of um, Twist and Shout by the Beatles uh-huh. and everyone would kind of get low on their knees and mm. sort of crouch when you go oh yeah. oh twist a little old nanny now oh. twist old nanny <laughs> <laughs> twist yeah. and shout and then you go oh twist a little old nanny now on repeat which I thought was Beautiful because it led to El Nenian party having an absolute disaster class yeah, for half an hour course, later. As expected. Um, so that was a lot of fun, and then we got in the stadium, and oh my god, the away fans were they in their numbers? Yes, they were. Were they loud? Yes, they were. It was beautiful. I really enjoyed it despite the loss. I mean, mm. every time, every time Ronaldo just didn't put the ball in the back of the net, whether mm. it was a misplaced shot or him trying to do an overhead kick, which he did yeah. quite a few of. Yeah. Quite badly. Mm. Everyone would just waggle their finger in the air and go, 
<laughs> which came back to bite when he scored two and then you have 75 you know, thousand oh, United yeah. fans going sue yeah. I could actually feel my heart vibrating when their stadium did that really? they were shit by the way yeah. I've been to Anfield and Old Trafford now I can hands down say that Anfield was a much better experience yeah, from the home end really? they were so quiet you had the Stretford end that were loud at points uh-huh. singing Viva Ronaldo it's about all they had oh, in their locker I hate them with passion um and they were really loud doing their sues when Ronaldo scored. But apart mm. from that, we were in we were in good spirits, the Arsenal fans. You had we won the league at Manchester going about. Mm. We had um She said we've no, got yeah, well I didn't enjoy, enjoy yeah. that one so much. You we also had the Arsenal boys who want to bender Cristiano as a sex offender nice. on repeat. Yeah, I, um, I was I was watching it at the pub actually and some guy kept on saying that. He was like, You shouldn't be on the pitch. I was like, what is he talking about? What is, <laughs> some of the things that fans come up with, it's just like I, know, I mean, I know, I know he's been accused of such things. I know, and then to and then to go out and start singing it. I mean, it's but I mean, every fan base, it's just not an Arsenal thing. It's a, no, of course not. It started with the Geordies on match day one of this season when when United beat them four one or whatever it was. It's every club. It's whatever boys are on a bender, mm. and it, and then we also had. Um, We've got Gabby, do, 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 do. oh Martinelli. That nice. song was going on repeat when he got that assist, mm-hmm. and actually. When Aubameyang missed that offside sitter, oh yeah, the fans started singing for Lacazette, which I found quite really, interesting. oh yes, and actually both rows around me were slagging Aubameyang off all game long, which I was so surprised by. I didn't realise that the fan base was starting yeah, to catch up. They've been converted. One kid behind me said said to his mate, "It was quite, it was quite, it was just like me and you speaking mm. down the pub, really." But he said to his mate, "Aubameyang, even when he's scoring you off, is nothing." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the classic. Um, so that that was old Trafford. It's still the then. classic from, from about um, three four years ago, which was just um, some guy on Arsenal fan TV, and he says, "I love Aubameyang, yeah, I love him, and he gets the goals, yeah, but without goals, Aubameyang's just a light skinned Danny, <laughs> Danny Welbeck." <laughs> what a quote! <laughs> so the match finished, and it was disappointing because we'd lost. So then, obviously, lafey has got press conference duties and stuff like that. So we're waiting in the cold and the rain underneath a, a burger stand opposite the car park. Mm. Um, for like maybe half an hour at the same time I'm trying to uh, you know direct Dorothy my mate mm. um, who's got the train up to Manchester because I'm staying with another mate of ours Ellie for the weekend and I'm trying to let her know whether Leif's going to pick her up or not and basically I've sent her all over the shop in the end she gets a cab from Manchester Piccadilly to Fellowfield the campus um, so me and Lola waiting around and Really nice guy, actually. Well, the locals in Manchester. No, that was all right. But this guy <laughs> underneath, the, he was doing like the bins and closing up the burger store. He was lovely. He was lovely. going, you two seem a bit down. And he we won for fuck's sake. Ah. And then I've, I'm, not, I'm not sure how good that was. Apologies to any Mancunians. Um, but he was really friendly and he was sort of let us stand underneath his burger ah. store. Um, anyway, Lowell's dropped me off at Fallowfield and I've basically kept everyone waiting because I've got to the campus about half twelve mm. and the club shut about three. Ooh. So we got we've got okay. to a club about two. Not our first choice club either. Um but we had a wonderful time. It was really nice. It was really nice to, you know, meet new people and get a grips with the campus and stuff and go down curry up and down curry mile, which I just love. It's just like being on Holloway Road. And I like really like the city centre. We went around a bit and stuff like that. So it was it was good, it was reaffirming for me. Did you meet up with FIBO? I did not meet up with Fibo. She was in different clubs, different nights. Night you know, the, the, the willingness was there, but you know, okay. we see each other okay. over Christmas probably. So the execution was missing. The execution was... She was in the Death of Institute and I was at 44s or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know, it just happens, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so the second night we went to a student bar and just met more mates and stuff like that. And it was nice. 
So yeah. if we got into the tactics of the United game, we played our normal system, uh, four, two, three, one, um, that went into a two, three, five. Basically, it was fairly normal with us, but I noticed that Elneny and Partey basically flip sides quite a lot. Mm-hmm. I thought we had a lot of control over, over Manchester United and the game was really there for the taking and it really frustrated me because in midfield, we turned the ball over so, so much in that match and I thought that if we were more consistent with our pattings, we would have won that game comfortably. I mean, United were rubbish. Yeah, I thought we, would, I thought we were timid and I think some of that comes from the fact of our really bad away form against the top six. But you, you'd have thought after our one win last season that confidence might be been up. But I thought after we went 1-0 up, that might have been a time to really go for it, as we saw against Southampton. But we kind of laid back and they just kind of went for it. I mean... We, they, yeah, we laid back and they went for it. And then obviously I mean, they went when for it. All they did have was space kind of run around. Players, they didn't do nothing. They, they overloaded down the flanks a yeah. bit. But I mean, it wasn't like they had lovely patterns. We just sat back and then, you know, then, they, then they miss... They missed a bit they can't do, which is playing through midfield if you sit mm, back. Exactly, yeah. And they can just go down the flanks and cut balls in and stuff like that. I mean... I mean, we gave United everything they wanted. Ronaldo got two... Martinelli played on the right wing for us in this match. And he actually held the width rather than cutting in. And I was quite impressed by it. Mm. And the sort of the cutting back and stuff. Yeah. Just before we quickly skip through into the Everton tactics and stuff. Because, I mean, this is all in the past. So there's not much point going over it in thorough detail. I wanted to touch on something which I saw. So obviously United, this was Carrick's game and they played a mm. 4-2-3-1. It wasn't too dissimilar to what Ramnik's describing as a 4-2-2-2 with mm. this fancy vertical Gagan pressing yeah, yeah, which he yeah. has to talk about. Um, what I was, the only thing I want to touch on with, with that, which I was quite interested by because I think I saw it from United again with Ramnik away at Norwich, was they pressed when we played out from goal kicks and played out from the back in a 3-2-3-2 so they had the two centre-backs and Tellez, the right-back in a back three, McFred, and then they had Cho, Bruno, Dallo as three behind Ronaldo Rashford. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it was. Maybe it's linked into this Ranić vertical angles that they want to create when they're pressing and stuff like that. I, I haven't really analysed it enough times watching football mm-hmm. to know, but I just thought it was interesting that it was there. But we played out of it really easy. Partey played out of it quite easily. And yeah. what he would do is Ramsdale playing to Partey, play out into Gabriel, out into, out into Nuno, and we were out. And it didn't really seem to work, but I'm sure they'll persist with it. Oh, yeah. My final point on that was I was watching PSG Monaco last night. Mm, as was I. And... Bit of shit. I noticed it was a bit of shit, and mm. also it wasn't Messi's best game. No, still got an assist though. He did, but he was quite bad actually. Uh, yeah, and Mbappe was just on fire. But yeah. Anyhow, I noticed that at points PSG were doing the same thing where Mbappe and Messi were the two, and then you had from a midfield three from the right. Why well, now them being the right eight would mm-hmm. go, and then Hakimi would join, mm. and sorry, no, not Hakimi, Bernat would join. And someone else joined and it'd be very it was kind of a similar structure and I thought just to bring a conspiracy to left on red maybe that's Pochettino you know trying to flirt with a few Ranić surely blueprints. not that I would know. be that would um... this is the standard of, has he got of, it in him has he got it in him I don't really think he's much of a gay compressing manager no and he's not that would be quite a cheeky move and he's not a very would. cheeky man he's quite a dull man <laughs> he is quite dull so moving on to Everton Blimey, that was shocking, wasn't it? Talk to me. Well, it was shocking. I mean, if you're going to describe it in one word, that's the word. I feel um, the name. Yeah, cause, especially because Everton are just a very bad team, as in they've got a bunch of 
kind of a mismatch of youngsters like Damari Gray and um, uh, and then you've got kind of older older players like Coleman. Keane is getting on a bit. Townsend. Townsend, what a little player. Um, and it's just it's a mismatch of tactics and which you don't really expect with Rafa Benitez, but they haven't been solid at the back. They haven't been particularly structured. And they were there for the taking. They didn't play well on a night either. Uh, I think we just let them... No, both teams... I mean, we, we, we had our re- moments, actually. And we should have won the game with the chances we created. But we were bad. But we shouldn't be waiting for it to be 1-1 for to, for us to be no, going going for the throw. We showed really weak mentality, They're, didn't we? Yeah. So disappointing. And almost a lack of confidence. Just uh, to let you know, guys, Lowell went to the match. And to editing, he will probably record a little section himself describing his match day experience. Mm. Um, but tactically, Xhaka was back in, so again, it was 4-2-3-1, 4-4-2 press. With Xhaka, it allows our building out systems to be slightly more fluid, so sometimes 2-3-5, sometimes 3-2-5, because he'll become a third centre-back. Sometimes he leaves party on there on his own, it's kind of like three at the back, party on his own in midfield, and then sort of like six up top, because you have Saka and Tomiyasu both sort of in the same wide right area. And then you've got Tierney, Martinelli, Lacazette, Odegaard. Mm. So it allows for more of a risk when Xhaka plays in the way we build up and you can slightly adjust angles, which I'm, it's just, I am sure Arteta loves playing him. But I actually thought Xhaka had a good game against Everton defensively, sort of scrapping and stuff like that against Decore. Mm. But not much more to say on that. And then what I finally wanted to say, um, which we've mentioned in the Southampton analysis, was that Martinelli was running in beyond become a nine and Lacazette was dropping into the left number eight position yeah. and you had Lacazette and Odegaard behind Martinelli at points mm. and you saw this in our goal actually where Xhaka plays it into Lacazette who, who's in the left half space who plays a one touch pass out wide into Tierney who whips a lovely ball in after a slightly misconstrued touch if I'm honest with you but what Martinelli's done as a number nine is he pushed the back four back and he's created that space on the edge of the box mm. for the right number eight to make a late run into and it's a wonderful finish from Odegaard so a bit of evidence of what we've been talking about there in that goal um, which was quite good to see a tactic coming true in the match and then Everton played 4-4-1-1 which was basically designed for counter-attack and Gray who was playing behind Richarlison could go either side and basically overload the wings and whip crosses in and they looked for set pieces they were pretty poor if I'm honest with you mm, yeah I think they were a poor team and I was really disappointed with that result I was livid, actually. Right, well, now it's time for our Premier League roundup. Look at all the different teams in the league and how they've done. With Brentford v Watford. Friday night kickoff. King of Kong on YouTube, the Nigerian prince. He's done it again. He's absolutely let down his team there. It was a stupid tackle, um, giving away a penalty in the last one, which Mbwemo was stuck away. Yeah. Um, I do like his YouTube channel. He's trying to follow in the footsteps of Ben Foster mm. and the cycling GK, that Watford influence. But... Poor from Watford because they've lost a lot under Ranieri and they've had some tough fixtures. Yeah. But I think a draw would have been fair and a stupid individual error has cost them. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, on to Man City Wolves. Uh, I mean, fairly standard. I watched that game. Did City you? did not play at their fluid, creative best. Yeah. And Wolves really impressive and a stupid... I mean, it's that infamous uh, two yellows in the space of 30 seconds from Jimenez. Um, but it just, it just pantomime uh, from from Jimenez and after on the way yeah. way out throwing his gloves on the mm. floor and then giving giving it the big into the Wolves. Fan. But what it does show is that even when Man City don't play well, they're beating. And I, I've been really impressed by Wolves actually this season. They've been um, really good. I yeah. think they've been a lot better than they were with Nuno last uh, year. A lot yeah. more attacking, definitely. Um, By the way, the penalty wasn't a penalty. It hit his back. Hit Matinho's back. 
So City have gotten away with one there, but then also Mats Kilburn handballed the ball um, yes. from across earlier on in the match, which definitely was a stonewall penalty mm. because he's led into the ball, even though his hand was by his body. Yeah. So it's all sort of levelled out there. Yeah. A City were the better team. Um, Le- uh, sorry, Chelsea v Leeds. I mean, there's another example of Chelsea and their kind of going downhill a bit. I mean, they were really consistent at the beginning. Uh, but they still got the win uh, against uh, an impressive lead side. Two Jorginho penalties, two Rudiger winning yeah, winnings I mean, of those penalties. Um, what about that that Rudiger running like ninety yards up the pitch? He's such, he's such the end. Oh my, he's such a little prick. <laughs> but he's an absolute tank. He's so. Like, good. I find it quite amusing um, watching the replay of that because only Lukaku could hold him back. Yeah, really, yeah. I'm not surprised. This so, but. Um, Leeds, Leeds have started really badly but have uh, coming they're back into it they're, 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 they're slowly finding their feet they're slowly finding their feet yeah they really do uh, but the top six in the next kind of eight games or so so it should be yeah. really tricky and then Liverpool scraping a 1-0 win against I say scraping again like the two in the top three of the league winning by penalties mm. really tight margins for a Salah penalty but just so Liverpool were actually excellent in the game they? they kept on looking they created so many chances they were really good, mm. so it was deserved three points. Yeah, I mean, but it's not a terrible result for for Stephen Gerrard coming back to Anfield. I mean, it's the hardest stadium in the league to get any points from, and a one nil defeat isn't too shabby. Isn't too shabby, Alonso at all. Um, let's just skim through the rest. So United was shit against Norwich. Norwich absolutely mm. battered them. Any other team with a with with a goal threat would have won that two three, top. two or three nil. They didn't have Josh Sargent on the wing. <laughs> I mean, the quality of the player. team. I mean, honestly, Norwich absolutely battered. Billy Gilmore was excellent. Mm. Ran the show in midfield. Um, stupid tackle. Gave away a penalty for Ronaldo, who was obviously in dispatch. Um, so another three points for Ranjit. Burnley, West Ham, I actually watched. A very disappointing watch because of how the quality. There was no quality at all. I think Good for us that West Ham dropped points. Yeah, really good for us. Uh, but I think the, the title of the YouTube video was Declan Rice nearly scores a screamer. Oh, yeah. So it just no, shows that there's that. not much going on in the game at all. And then I actually watched bits and bobs of the Leicester game on my phone. Mm. Um, they were good. They were back to creativity with Tiedemann, Madison yeah. and Lincoln up. Which isn't particularly um, good for us because they're going to be our competitors. Well, we're going to want them to beat Spurs on, on yeah. Thursday. But that was an impressive display. One of the best I've seen from Leicester. Having said that, Newcastle are rubbish. Mm. And then Palace destroying Everton. We know Everton are rubbish. We should have beaten them. It annoys me a little bit that Gallagher scoring a wonder goal. He was so good. Yeah. No, I watched that game as well, actually. And um, it was just Everton being kind of idle throughout the game. And then Palace went 2-0 up. Tompkins with Tompkins with the second. Oh, and then Everton. Legend. Exactly. Everton started pining out the pressure, but Conor Gallagher finished it and I'm happy for Vieira because I think he's he's lost a lot of points when he deserved wins alrighty well I reckon that pretty much uh, brings us to the conclusion of the podcast it's been wonderful to be back uh, imagine I'll be back at one point uh, whether uh, whether it's another Covid disaster or something else but yeah another big win for us not another big win a big win for Arsenal we haven't got much this season and hopefully a step in the right direction Yeah, on to West Ham on Wednesday. Take care, guys. Have a good week.